Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Ezra 8, 21-23 I proclaimed a fast by the Ahava River so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us, our dependents, and all our possessions. I did this because I was ashamed to ask the king for infantry and cavalry to protect us from enemies during the journey, since we had told him, the hand of our God is gracious to all who seek him, but his fierce anger is against all who abandon him. So we fasted and pleaded with our God about this, and he was receptive to our prayer. Verses 31 and 32. We set out from the Ahava River on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. We were strengthened by our God, and he kept us from the grasp of the enemy and from an ambush along the way. So we arrived at Jerusalem and rested there for three days. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. I'm Tom Butler. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm going to move this right now. Hopefully that's okay. As, uh, as you re- heard this, the scripture read this morning, you may have thought, well, wait a second, that, that sounds like what Dave preached on last week. We're going to find a lot of similarities between last week and this week. I really appreciated what Dave had to say last week in his message uh, about how God had use Ezra to call his people to worship and uh, how Dave talked about worship being you know adoration and reverence for God and it's so difficult for us sometimes isn't it to go from the busyness of our lives and come in here and stop and focus our attention on God in worship truly as you're sitting there, you're thinking, boy, I, I wish I hadn't have said that to that person, or I wonder what that person that was talking, I wonder what they were thinking about that, or what's going on with my kids, what's going on with my parents, what, what are we going to do about our finances, what's going on with my job, all of these things are going around in your head, and you're supposed to come in here and stop, and in a clear mind, worship God. And I thought that was a great reminder by Dave last week. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking one of the things that we can do as we come here every week for our corporate time is even before you get out of your car, just take a minute and ask God to take all of that stuff and leave it in the car. So that for a brief time this morning, you could come in here and out of a pure, clean heart and mind, worship God. And you may say, you have no idea what's going on in my life and how ridiculous that sounds. And you're right. I I don't know what's going on in your life, but I do know that uh, God can do what we cannot do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray before we even get started this morning that if there is something that is in your mind and in your life and in your heart, that God would just turn the volume of that down so that we can hear what it is that God wants us to learn and to know this morning as we seek to worship him. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you so much for your word. 
It is life-giving to us. It reveals to us who you are and your majesty and your power and your greatness and your love. Lord, we could go on infinitely uh, just recounting the greatness of who you are. And you know the weakness that we live in in these frail bodies in this sin-cursed world. You know the attacks that are on each one of us and how that Satan seeks to distract us. And I just pray this morning that you would take those concerns and those cares and that you would just turn the volume of those down, Lord, so that we could hear you. May this morning, Lord, you through your spirit speak to us, each one, and encourage us through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's, it's sometimes difficult as we're reading through these Old Testament passages for us to identify with people that are in these, these accounts. I don't want to say stories, they're accounts, because these people are so different than we are, right? I mean, we're talking about ancient history, and we're supposed to somehow identify with these people that are so different than we are. They look different. They have these weird customs. It seems like there's a lot of blood and walking everywhere. And it's just, it's hard for us to look at these people and think of them uh, as being the same as we are. And yet the reality is, is that God created them in his image the way that he created us in his image. And that even though they live very different lives in, in the book of Ezra than what we are now, they are people like we are people. And so one of my goals this morning is to take Ezra 8 and humanize the people that are being talked about here so that we can identify with them a little bit more. Because I think sometimes we really struggle with that. And you're going to see in Ezra 8 a lot of similarities with what Dave talked about last week in Ezra 7 because Ezra 7 talks about Ezra having gone down to Jerusalem and all of that. And now we're in chapter 8. And we're, we're back in exile. We haven't left yet. And so what we want to do this morning is look at this guy, Ezra. Uh, last week, we talked about God's call on Ezra's life to lead the people back to a heart of worship. This week, we want to look at Ezra as just a guy receiving the call of God. So put yourself in the shoes or sandals or whatever he wore on his feet. And, and consider all of these things that are happening through the eyes of Ezra and the people in, in chapter 8 and see if we can learn some things. We know that the people in chapter 8 are just people like us. We know that Ezra is a man just like us, and we know that God is God. The God of Ezra 8 is the exact same God without change of the God this morning that you prayed to. He hasn't changed at all. So as we, with the backdrop of that, go into uh, Ezra chapter 8, we're going to look at the human experience of, of what it is that Ezra is seeing and experiencing. Now keep in mind, Ezra has been watching all of this unfold. He knows what happened. He knows that Solomon's temple was built and it was amazing and it was just beyond words. And we know that Solomon and the people failed and that temple was destroyed and the people were dispersed and they went into captivity. And then God, in his sovereign uh, way, stirred the heart of Cyrus 
to allow the people to come back, give them everything they need so that they could come back and start to rebuild the temple. And just as soon as they got started rebuilding the temple, they were stopped and they were frustrated and they sat there for a while, but then God intervened, the temple was completed and now it's ready to go. And Ezra is sitting in exile watching this happen. And there are some things that Ezra knows. Number one, Ezra knows who he is. We saw in chapter 7, uh, as Dave read, the genealogy of Ezra. Ezra is of the family of Aaron. And if you know Aaron, you know that Aaron is Moses' big brother, okay? So to be of the line of Aaron is kind of a big deal. Aaron, the first priest, the Levites, that was his family. Now, lest you think that Aaron was his grandpa, these are many, many generations and hundreds of years, but that is still his heritage. So he knows that. He also knows that he is a scribe and that he is, this is Ezra, and that he is uh, knowledgeable in the law of God. So he knows that he owns that responsibility as he is watching this. And he also knows that God put a desire in his heart to study the law even more and to study God's word even more. So Ezra is this guy and he's experiencing all this and he's thinking about all of this and he's seeing that for the first time in 150 years, there is a temple in Jerusalem that God has built so that God's people can worship him the way that God wants. And he's sitting over here thinking, okay, I might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I think this might be a calling on God for me to go there. And so Ezra is sensing the call of God to go to Jerusalem to do this thing. Have, have you ever sensed in your life God calling you to do something? Think, well, it could be something big, it could be something little, it could be something as small as talking to somebody, it could be something as big as going on the mission field. Has God ever asked you to do something and you think, how in the world can I know if this is of God or just something I ate last night? How do, how do I determine if what I want to do is what God wants me to do or maybe it's something else, maybe it's just me and my selfishness? Well, there is just a real practical set of tests that we can all do to determine if what we want to do is is God-initiated or something else, okay? The first test that we have to run through is, is it consistent with God's word? God is never gonna lead you to do something that is inconsistent with his word. Let's say I have a strong desire to punch my neighbor in the nose because he continually flies his Notre Dame flag and he blares polka music out of his garage stereo all the time irritating all the neighbors. And I feel like I need to defend my neighbors and go in there and punch him in the nose. I'm not sure if it's from God, but I think it might be. So how do I know? The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to God's word to see if my desire is consistent with his word. And when I go to the Bible, it says that I'm supposed to love one another because love is from God. I'm thinking, okay, I love my neighbors, but punching him in the nose might not be a loving thing. I keep reading. I see that it says that I'm not supposed to return evil for evil. Okay, that's 
strike two. And then I see in humility, I'm supposed to consider others as more important than myself. Okay, so clearly this desire that I had, as strong as it was, wasn't of God because it wasn't consistent with God's word. All right, so that's the first step when we're trying to determine if this is what God wants for me. The second thing that we're supposed to do is pray. And you've heard us talk about the, uh, the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Spending time with God, just adoring him. Praying in worship and acknowledging the awesome power of who God is and what he has done and the power that he has and the knowledge that he has and that he's omniscient. He knows everything. He is everywhere. He can do anything. And, and, and recounting the glory and the splendor of his creation and spending an extended amount of time just worshiping and adoring who God is. And then flowing out of that, confessing and laying bare in complete transparency the sin that's in my life and confessing that before God because, God, I don't want any wrong motives to be working their way into this. I want you to cleanse me of all this. I want to know what your will is. And then giving thanksgiving to God for his forgiveness, his love, his patience, his care. And then asking, God, I, I want to do this thing, but I, I'm not sure if it's of you or not. Can, can you help me? We know that James says that if you lack wisdom, that you can ask of God and he will give it to you. He, he doesn't want to hide his will from you. And so you do that thing. And the other part of this was never really a part of my tradition growing up, but fasting is something that I've added into my life recently, which is you know, abstaining from, from the consumption of food for the purpose of focusing on prayer. Now, if you do a three-day fast and you don't pray any more than you normally do, then you just starved yourself for three days. That wasn't really a fast. But if you fast and you pray and you spend extended time praying for God, uh, he will show you what his will is. And then the third test, is to seek godly counsel. And I like the way the King James words, uh, and it doesn't, doesn't usually come out that way, but I like the way the King James Version words this. It says, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So it's important for us to go to godly people. That's, that's the qualifier, okay? Because we can all go to people that we know are gonna tell us what we wanna hear, we're very good at that, aren't we? We know the people that are going to give us the answer that we want. But what it's talking about here is going to people who know God's word, who are living out God's word, and who just exude godliness. You want to go to those people and say, this is what's going on. What do you think about this? And get wise counsel. And if what I want to do is consistent with God's word, and I've prayed through it, and, and I still desire it, and I sought godly counsel, and that counsel says, yeah, I agree with you. I think this looks like something that God wants you to do. Then you can step into that opportunity with confidence, knowing that this is something that God has for you. And this is where Ezra is at. He is sitting here, and he's looking at everything that's going on, and he says, yeah, I think that this is what God has for me to do. And so he sets out a plan to get himself to Jerusalem so that he can start 
doing the temple work that God has set out for him. So he sets out four steps for repatriation. How's that for a word? Repatriation. It's a $14 word that means going back, going home, homecoming, so forth. The interesting thing about it is repatriation was only $10 four months ago, but with all of the inflation, it's now $14. So we had to add a little into the budget for that. So the first step of repatriation for Ezra was gathering of the people. And we see that at the end of chapter 7 and verse 28. He says, at the very end, he says, and I gathered Israelite leaders to return with me. And then over in chapter 8 and verse 15, he says, I gathered them at the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there for three days. Now, this is really interesting because he, he makes it sound pretty simple, doesn't he? I mean, two little phrases. In those two phrases, he'd gathered thousands of people together, and he had set them up in this staging area, people from, from infants to the elderly, and all of these people in this place. And I don't know if you've ever worked with groups of people, but they can be frustrating. Last week, I had the opportunity to be in a, a cruise ship terminal where thousands of people were coming off of these ships, literally probably eight, 9,000 people, and getting into different forms of ground transportation to go where they need to go. Everything from, from you know, vans to buses to trains, you name it, they had it all. And all the transportation representatives had their little signs and they were trying to corral the people to go the right way. And I was standing there watching this, this sweet representative dealing with this couple. And she was saying, you need to go right there. There was a bus like maybe 100 feet away. Right there, you see that? Yeah, they were going like this and then they walked that way. And she chased after, no, 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 right there. And she had the bus driver wave at him. And so they started walking that way and then they started going that way. And I'm going, ah, I'm thinking about the difficulty that Ezra had to go through to get all of these people together in this place, but he did it. And he got that done and then he had to go through and, and sort of take stock of who was there. And as he went through it, much to his amazement, there wasn't a single Levite in the group, and the Levites are the priests. Remember, the temple had been gone for 150 years, and now there's a temple. And the one group of people that aren't there to go back are the people that do the temple work. Don't you think Ezra was like, you've got to be kidding me. Where are, why, why wouldn't they be here? So he had to get together a group of people to go out and look for them, they found a sufficient number of Levites and, and temple workers to come and join their group. Now you think about that, God had put his hand on Ezra to do this thing, and yet it wasn't without problems and it didn't go that smoothly. Do you think when God asks you to do something that his plan will always work smoothly and come off with no problems? You think, I think so. God wouldn't ask me to do something unless he had paved the way, right? So I'm going to step into this. I'm going to do God a favor, and I'm going to step into this, and I'm going to do this for him, and it's going to go well, and everybody's going to be amazed, and yet that's not the way it works. In this situation, it was hard. You know, Sometimes when you step into God's will, and God says, I want you to go do that, you go, okay, I'm going to do it. It, it is hard. 
And you may think, you know, it feels like I'm forcing it. It doesn't seem like it should take this long for this thing to work out. I, I thought I would just say these things and everything would magically change and it would all work out. And yet it doesn't work that way. And you find yourself thinking, I really saw this going differently in my head. Can this be God's will? And, and I wonder, Ezra's just a guy, right? And he's probably thinking at this point, this is a lot of work. So we have to remember how God has worked through time. God moved on Moses for a specific reason. Remember that? He said, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of here to the promised land. He says, you got the wrong guy. He said, nope, you're my guy. Oh, Moses submitted to God's will and went and did this thing, didn't he? He wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. And in the end, what happened to Moses? He didn't go, get to go into the promised land, did he? He had to watch them go. Then you think of the disciples of Jesus. These were just fishermen and they were out doing their own thing. Jesus called them and they went and they followed him. They obeyed the call and they followed him. And what happened to them? They were martyred. Some of them were crucified. It didn't end well for them. You think of the Apostle Paul, how that he was living his life out persecuting the church, doing his thing. God reached down and uh, said, no, now you're going to be my servant. He obeyed that and went out and started building the church and doing all that stuff. His payoff for that was shipwreck, imprisonment, beating, and ultimately being martyred. So why is it, do you think, and maybe you're not like me, maybe that's what you expect, but I think that when God moves to do something that it should go well and that it should be easier because it's God's work. I'm just showing up for what God wants to do. And yet sometimes God's plan is hard. And that's what Ezra is finding here as he's getting these people together. Ezra's second step, the first one was the, uh, the gathering of the people. The second one is a performing of the preparations so now he has all of these people together. And in verses 21 through 30, he is preparing for this journey. The first preparations we see in verse 21, he says, I proclaimed a fast by the Aha River so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us, our dependents, and all of our possessions. I did this because I was ashamed to ask the king for infantry and cavalry to protect us from the enemies during the journey since we had told them, the hand of our God is gracious to all who seek him, but fierce anger is against all who abandon him. So we fasted and pleaded with our God about this, and he was receptive to our prayer. Uh, to me, this is just kind of comical. It's almost like Ezra f felt like he kind of stepped in it a little bit, and that he had told everybody, God is with us, God is doing this thing and all this, and all of a sudden he realizes they've got a 900-mile, four-month journey with thousands of people and millions of dollars worth of gold going through very dangerous territory, and now I can't ask for protection that I normally would, that anybody would, because I was bragging. So they went and they pleaded with God and they fasted and they prayed and they begged God to please protect them. 
So they did the spiritual preparation, then they did the physical preparation. And it's important to realize this, starting in verse 24 and going through 30, that they were very detailed with all of these bowls and the silver and the gold and all that stuff. They took stock of everything so they knew exactly what they had. You know, one of these says, it says 24 tons of silver they had. I just ran a quick calculation on that. It's like 15 million dollars. And that's just the silver. That's not the gold in the bowls and all the other stuff that they have. So these guys are going through the most treacherous areas filled with enemies with millions and millions of dollars worth of stuff. So part of their preparation was figuring out exactly what they had. And they had to, the priests take over that and they accept their responsibility and they were good to go. So the question is, if God asks you to do something, is it important to do it to the best of your ability? Is it important to know exactly how much gold there is? Is it important to go to the details? A lot of times we just say, well, I think God wants me to kind of do this, so I'm just kind of, details matter with God. And that's what we see here in, in chapter eight, especially as we get at the end. These details do matter. God wants us to pay attention to what it is that he is doing and do it to the best of our ability. And so as we consider the preparations, we see that sometimes God's plan is a lot of work. Sometimes God's plan is hard. Sometimes God's plan is a lot of work. Step three is embarking on the passage. So the gathering of the people, the performing of the preparations, and now they're embarking on the passage. And this is in uh, chapter eight, verse 31. He says, we set out from the Aha River on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. We were strengthened by our God and he kept us from the grasp of the enemy and from ambush along the way. That's what he says about a four month, 900 mile journey with thousands of people. One verse is all it says about the whole thing. You put your thinking cap on and you can understand that this was treacherous this was frightening, this was scary. They knew that the enemies were all around and they're clanking and making all this noise and this huge cloud of dust and they know that the enemy knows that they're there and they are vulnerable. They have no protection. And yet all we get is one verse about this. But Ezra believed God and in spite of the fear of ambush and despite of the length of the journey and despite the size of the crowd and the treachery, they went out anyway. It was frightening. So the question for us is, would we be willing to go to a scary place if God asked us to? Would God ask you in his will to go do something scary? Well, for those of you who attended First Family or, or even just living in Ankeny, you remember back to 2016 and, and Randy Hensel being down in Jamaica. Uh, he went down there in, in, uh, along with Harold Nichols and they were doing missionary work down there in an incredibly violent area. And they were at risk and ultimately ended up losing their lives. And so we could look at it and say, boy, that was just poor judgment. They shouldn't have gone to such a dangerous place. And yet 
they were doing what God had led them to do. Would we step out in obedience if God asked us to do something scary or something dangerous? Sometimes God's plan is scary and God's plan is dangerous. And then the fourth step of Ezra is completing the proprieties. Proprieties, doing what is proper. It's a P word that goes along with the people, the preparation, the passage, and the proprieties. It's a little thing that we pastors call forced alliteration, okay? Just, just go with me on this. They're at the end of the journey. They've gotten to Jerusalem. They're finishing things up, and they're making sure that they do all of the right things. So in verses 32 through 36, first of all, they did uh, took care of the physical proprieties, which uh, the first one in verse 32 is that they arrived in Jerusalem and there they rested for three days. So the first physical thing that they did was just rested. The second physical thing that they did was they measured out all of the gold and all of the things that they had been carrying to make sure that the numbers at the beginning of the journey meet and match the numbers at the end of the journey, that nothing was stolen, nothing was missing, everything was accounted for. And that was very important that they do that. Then in verse 35, they move to the spiritual proprieties. The exiles in verse 35 had returned from captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 70 seven lambs along with 12 male goats as a sin offering. So we saw two different offerings here. One is a burnt offering, which is an offering of worship and dedication. And then we see the sin offering, an offering for atonement. That was the appropriate thing for them to do at the end of the journey. And even though they were exhausted, they were tired, they were ready to find a place to live and get on with it. They did what was appropriate. And then the last one we see in verse 36, is the, what I call the official propriety, and that is the delivering of the documents in verse 36. They delivered the king's edicts to the royal satraps and governors of the region west of the Euphrates so that they would support the people, the house of God. This was the authority that was given to Ezra that he was supposed to give to these governors. Uh, basically, satraps are like officials over a larger area. Governors are officials over a smaller area. Ezra and the people of God are going to be kind of in the midst of these, but this gave Ezra the authority to be able to basically run the government of the people of Israel, and these people would leave them alone. And it was important that they do that. So the question is, when God asks us to do something, is it important to finish strong? Well, we can see, of course it was. If he hadn't have done that, that would have caused enormous problems. Sometimes God's plan is tedious, and exhausting. Have I depressed you yet with what the will of God can be? For the people here and for Ezra, it wasn't easy. It was difficult. And yet, if you're looking for metrics to justify God's calling on your life, you're looking for the wrong thing. When God asks you to do something do you want to be able to point and say, oh, we did this and this was the result or, or this happened and that we know why because this over here. We want reasons. We want rewards and we want results. We want to know and be able to measure and many times that isn't the case. And we need to be comfortable to know 
that if we obey God's call, we bring glory to God. And that's enough. You know, a group of people got together because we felt like God wanted us to plant Ankeny Gospel Church. Let's say that for some reason, you know, some people got sick, some people moved away, and it kind of floundered. And three years down the road, it's just a handful of people, and we shut the doors. Does that mean that that wasn't God's will that this church be planted? Well, people would look at it from the outside and say that was a mistake, that was this and that. Ultimately, we did the things, we ran the tests, we, we uh, checked God's word, we prayed, we sought counsel, we were convinced this was God's will. And in obeying God and doing that, we brought glory to God. There are a lot of things that are going to happen in your life and you don't know why and you can't explain it. And sometimes you do everything you can in accordance with God's will and life still blows up in your face. And you can submit to God's authority and you can praise him and you can stay true to him and you can bring glory to him even though you don't understand. And that's what you need to know. Life isn't a series of successes and metrics and all of those things that if I do what God wants, all these wonderful things are going to happen. What we need to know and what Ezra did know was that it's enough for us to obey and submit our lives to God and to bring glory to him. Did you hear that? It's enough for us to bring glory to God. Even if nobody else notices, even if you can't show all of the results, when God asks you to do something, whether it's hard, whether it's scary, whether it's exhausting, whatever it is that you do it, and you bring glory to God. And there's nothing better than that. And I think as we look at here in, in chapter 8 at these people as real people, as Ezra as a real man, and we see that he stepped out in the face of incredible odds and did what God asked him to do, and that brought glory to God. In the same way, we can do that today. When God moves in your heart to do something, and you run it through the test and say, yeah, this is what God wants me to do, and you step out and you do that thing, you bring glory to God. And let me tell you, no matter what the results, it is worth it, because he is worth it. He has something so spectacular for those who trust in him, and this, this life is so short. I just want to encourage you, don't shrink back looking at the scary stuff or the hard work step into it and let God do what only he can do bringing glory to God is enough let's pray Lord this chapter 8 the story of Ezra and everything that was going on Lord it is uh, almost seems unreal and yet it is real and we know that by Ezra's obedience you were greatly glorified and it encourages and it motivates us and inspires us Lord to want to be listening for your leading in our life and may we have the courage that he had to step out and follow you even when it's scary and hard Lord may you receive the glory from our lives 
And uh, may your spirit seal your word to our lives today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.